we we know that um, Canadians have been moving to cities. Cities continue to grow and continue to grow and continue to grow. And a lot of um, smaller communities, um, rural communities in Canada have been shrinking. Their population is getting smaller in many, many ways. And, um, you know, some of these communities have been working hard to try and reverse that trend and hang on to uh, the people that they have. The, the, the main factor is people leaving, right? Young people leaving and heading to the city. So um, we're going to be talking here about not necessarily, we're not talking about small towns here. We're talking about, um, you know, cities, but smaller cities and smaller communities. And and maybe one of the barriers that they're running into is the issue of it's not all that appealing for newcomers. If you're an immigrant to Canada, moving to a smaller center may not be all that appealing because you may not feel all that welcome. According to our next guest, Victoria Esses is a professor in the Department of Psychology and the director of the Network for Economic and Social Trends and co-chair of the Pathways to Prosperity Partnership at Western University. Victoria, thank you for your time. I appreciate you joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me. So tell us about the work that you've been doing around this. Basically, you're looking to see if smaller Canadian communities are, are getting in their own way, hindering their own efforts to try and you know bolster their population based by making it, well, less welcoming for newcomers who may want to settle there. Yes. So a lot of national surveys have been conducted looking at Canadians' attitudes and prejudice and discrimination toward newcomers. Um, and toward uh, racialized individuals, but there isn't a lot of work looking at smaller communities. And um, we suspected that people in smaller communities have less experience with immigrants, less experience with diversity, and may feel uncomfortable around people from different cultures. Um, so we looked at discrimination um, in nine regions of southwestern Ontario. Um, we've also looked at some regions in British Columbia, same results, but today I'll talk about the Ontario results. And uh, did you want me to tell you what Yeah, sure, found? yeah, exactly. Yeah, what did, what did you find in those surveys? So we um, actually found that in most regions, over 80% of Indigenous people um, reported experiencing discrimination in the last three years in their community. And in over half the regions, more than 60% of immigrants and racialized individuals reported experiencing discrimination. Um, and, you know, this discrimination is in a variety of contexts, but the contexts that really come out on top, the situations that come up on top, are employment situations, um, uh, when applying for a job at your place of work, and in a variety of public places, a lot of public places, so stores, banks, restaurants, public transit, libraries, community centers, arenas. Um, so racialized people, indigenous people, um, can't even go to these places without experiencing discrimination. Um, and uh, one of the things we found was that um, these individuals reported that this discrimination, in their view, was mainly because of their race or their skin color, their ethnicity or their culture. And for Indigenous people, it was about their Indigenous identity. Um, and of course, these um, discrimination has effects, right? It affects individuals sure. and it affects communities. Um, so, for example, we found that Indigenous people in particular reported high levels of stress, anxiety, depression, um, when they had experienced um, Discrimination, but as you mentioned, um, immigrants and racialized Im um, individuals who had experienced discrimination generally reported a lower sense, lower feeling of belonging and feeling welcome in their community. 
Um, and, and that's a problem for these communities because they can portray themselves as having good jobs and having, you know, um, great outdoors and lots of uh, nature areas nearby and, you know, maybe less expensive housing. But if you go to those communities and you experience discrimination, you're not going to stay. Um, um, help me out here, because I, 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 it, it, to me it sounds like we're making some pretty sweeping stereotypes here. I mean, we're, we're talking about rural communities the way it sounds to me, the way you're describing it as inherently discriminatory and racist. And I know that isn't true. I've lived in some of these communities. Sure, there are instances there, but I don't know if it's any farther spread than it is in, in, in big centers. Did you, are, are you saying that your, your, your research indicated that there's a difference between the way people in small communities perceive immigrants compared to people in big cities, generally speaking? I would say, generally speaking, not um, people's attitudes toward um, immigrants or racialized individuals, but the experiences of discrimination. Um, we did compare our results um, to some of the national survey results. So, for example, M. Veronics had a national study um, done about the same time we did our study. Yeah. And um, they asked about discrimination in your lifetime, and the rates are lower then the rates, um, the, the percentage of people who are experiencing discrimination are lower in those national surveys, which we know often, you know, um, mainly pick up people in the bigger cities. Gotcha. Um, yeah. What about the fact, and I, I don't know how, how this would fit into it, but, you know, in the larger cities, we have, we have different ethnic groups that form their own communities, right? We have churches, we have social clubs, we have whole neighborhoods, Little Italy, Chinatown, you know how it works. Um, right. How much of a difference would that make where maybe there's just not that natural community in the smaller center? Would that make a difference in, their, in the way they feel? Well, we're talking about pretty specific incidents of discrimination. So we did ask people about, you know, have you experienced discrimination in, you know, 16 different contexts? So it's not just a feeling that you're experiencing discrimination. They're pointing to acts of discrimination right. that happened to them. So I don't think it's just a feeling, yeah. um, you know, just that you feel more comfortable yeah, in bigger fair cities. Yep. So how do, we, how do we tackle this? How can these smaller centers... Um, improve this perception? Where do they go? Well, so you were asking whether I thought smaller centers were inherently more yeah. discriminatory, and I don't. I just think, as I said, that they've had less experience. Um, they're not as exposed to diversity often, and so I think there's lots that we can do, actually. Um, so we know, for example, the types of settings, and I think that's really important, um, in which discrimination is taking place, and we can do something about those settings. In employment settings, we can have policies that prohibit discrimination. We can be doing diversity training. Um, and in public settings, other settings, we can also... Um, have reporting sites where people can report discrimination. Because when I talk to immigrants and racialized people, indigenous people, they often don't know where to report discrimination. Um, so, of course, if it's a hate crime, you can go to the police. But um, a lot of these acts of discrimination wouldn't be defined as crimes. Right. They would just be described as discrimination. And there's nowhere to go to report them in many communities. And what's happened in a number of small communities or in several small communities that they're starting to set up these reporting sites. And the benefit of the reporting site is that, first of all, people um, who have experienced discrimination, it empowers them. They know that there's a place they can go where they can report this. But also for the community, the community then can tally how many people are reporting over time, and they can look at whether actions they're taking to reduce discrimination are working or not. Um, 
So I it's all data. I mean, it's basically having that data, which we know is the first step in addressing any kind of change. Exactly. Um, but I think it has to go beyond data. I think it has to go to diversity training. I think it's yeah. um, systemic discrimination, so policies. Another thing I think that's really important is, and um, you may hopefully agree with me on this, is that sometimes we're in situations where we witness discrimination and we don't know what to do. I've had that experience myself. Um, somebody tells a racist joke and I'm so stunned I just stand there looking. Um, and so I think tools to help bystanders um, actually know how to safely intervene is really important. Yeah. You see somebody ra- uh, you know, yelling at somebody on a bus and do you turn away or do you intervene? And that can go a long way in sort of setting a norm of what is appropriate behavior. Yeah, education never, ever hurts. Victoria, great conversation. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time. Thank you. That's Victoria Esses, who is a professor in the Department of Psychology and director of the Network for Economic and Social Trends, co-chair of the Pathways to Prosperity Partnership.